0: Uh, Sounds okay to me. My cables was loose. Is it better now?
1: Uh, Are you hearing
0: it still? It sounds fine to me.
1: No, not anymore.
0: My kids moved my mic. I bet you the they just wasn't plugged in all the way. Yeah. Do Uh, they want to come on and talk receiver transfers or? (laughs) Yeah. They
1: might. They might do as good a job as I might do tonight. Welcome everyone to the catscorner.com podcast CapsCorner.com, your source for sports. I am Brad Franklin publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin states in the west end of Richmond where it is Wednesday December the 7th the uh, the year that is 2022 is almost over it's winding down um, slowly but surely Cavaliers coming off of a uh, an interesting victory uh, over James Madison last night um, setting the stage for what seems like it could be a one versus two matchup um, Next weekend after the exam break with uh, the Houston Cougars uh, We will no doubt be discussing that as well as all sorts of transfer portal news and notes um, It is portal season I'm lucky that, that, that both of my uh, co-hosts on this show are actually still here That they're not having disappeared in the portal Before we get started, let's go around and introduce the aforementioned um, co-host uh, Up in Fishersville um, Board moderator du jour David Spence is on the program How's it going my friend?
0: Good, I appreciate that very smooth introduction today <laughs> um, Taking a break from all my uh, Twitter sleuthing On the transfer portal to uh, to record this podcast But who Dave's on the board at who Dave's on Twitter
1: And in Charlottesville, Editor-in-Chief Justin Ferber Is also on this year' program How's it going my dude? Now that was a smooth intro
2: Right there um, had Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter.
1: Why? Uh, Cats Corner on Twitter, Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. Why does this give Brad crap night? What did I do? Why? Why? <laughs> I what, don't what, know. why? We, there's so many transfer portal jokes out there, and you guys both decided to focus on me. And you I you're, figured
0: Ferber had a good one, so I don't want to ruin it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so
1: well, I was
2: about cool. mine. Mine was gonna be um right before we just like right before Brad says welcome everyone. Like a thing pops up on the screen that says he's recording, and I wanted to be like. Wait, you record these? Like these go
1: out. <laughs> <laughs> this is heard by people? And yes, yeah. it is. And and we're and we're we're like the elf on the shelf, man. We're we're listening. Uh or we're watching. Wow, I really messed that joke up. Um all right. Speaking of watching, um, Cavaliers get that like I said, the uh it was not exactly a pretty game, fifty five fifty over James Madison last evening. Um T.J. Clark had 18. Jaden Gardner had 14. Ryan Dunn had probably the two most important um, offensive plays or the biggest plays, maybe, uh, of the game. Um, despite only scoring four whole points, um, I will say that Ferber and Dave are giving me a pretty decent, uh, no, maybe not decent amounts, at least some, uh, some, some, some crap for um, making the comment that Dunn was playing really well defensively because then he was, and then he absolutely got like just taken to the to the uh, to the rim. But he came up big when it mattered. Cavaliers, like I said, five-point win. Um, They hold James Madison, which scored like, I don't know, a million points a game to 50. They shot 27% from the floor, 7 of 23 from deep. The fact that this thing was close has a lot more to do, I think, with Reese Beekman's injury, and we will certainly be discussing that here in a moment, than it does with, uh, you know, a lot of other things. Um, Dave, you're our big-picture, get-us-started kind of person. Um Clearly, without Beekman, Virginia is not the number three team in the country, or the number two team in the country, whatever. Um, but it's it's hard at this point to to not think about sort of where they are, because considering he has been banged up for a few games now, and given the status of what we saw uh, from him in terms of he plays four minutes in this game, we don't see him back in the game. He's he's got the the hammy all iced up. It, it's not not looking great, Bob, in terms of his. Um, even if he's available next week, you can't you can't imagine he's going to be full go, um, you know, one hundred percent. Bigger, I mean, bigger games certainly in Virginia basketball history. I don't know if there have been bigger games um, in recent Virginia basketball history at home than the one that's going to come up. Um, how you feeling this this uh, at this point with uh, the, the the Cougars coming to town soon and Beekman all banged up?
0: I mean, to be determined and um, obviously pulling off that win last night certainly helps. Um You know, JMU is a good team. I don't, I don't think we should overlook that. They've got some players and experience and a really good, you know, offensive scheme there. And, you know, yet, you know, for Virginia, it's just another non-conference game for JMU. It's, you know, they've played Carolina, but this is, you know, when you play these in-state teams, they want to beat you. So, um yeah, I think it, I think it was, I was impressed Virginia was able to gut out a win when, you know, obviously you lost Reese, which as you said, like that really changes the equation on both ends of the floor. You know, you lose the guy who helps initiate the offense, can get to the rim when you need a shot, you know, and creates offense off his defense. And then in the set defense, like he pretty much locks up the best, you know, the best one, two or three on the other team. Um, so with you know your your defense has to change. Guys are going to play more minutes. I think that's some of what you saw with the free throw shooting last night. Um, maybe not, you know guys didn't get any breaks because they were all filling in another role. You know you know the, I didn't. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it seems like guys played more last night than they typically have. Um, yeah, Clark yeah, went thirty
1: nine. Uh, Gardner yeah. went thirty two, and then you had both Franklin and uh, Vanderplas going twenty six. Shedrick going twenty five. McNeely getting 26 minutes and Dunn getting 19. So there's though that's that's, you know, what? Um forty five minutes of game action, you know, between yeah. the two rookies. I mean, that's a that's a significant amount of a burn.
0: Yeah. And then Clark is obviously, you know, he plays a lot of minutes. Um, not as many this year as last year, but you know, going back to that symbol thing, like, you know, he doesn't have Reese on you know, he's got to play even harder on the defensive end without Reese there. So um but, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good effort. Obviously, Dunn gave you some big moments. But as far as where is the team, you know, it, it all depends on Reese. You know? Without a healthy Reese, Houston's going to be a v- very tough task. Um, I was sort of surprised to see him play last night, to be honest with you. Uh, but clearly his ankles healed up. I didn't know about the hamstring, which seemed to be common knowledge on the broadcast. But, um, you know, that's luckily he's got a little bit of a spell you know, to, to heal up and then, you know, Shedrick, <laughs> Shedrick's probably in concussion protocol, man. Don't mean to make light of it, but he's getting hit in the head every time they play. Um, it's I'm trying to think of another player who's been hit that much. I feel like there was someone like that at one point, um, but I can't remember who it was. But yeah, I mean, look, I think last at points last night, it felt like last year's team because guys were kind of kind of figure out where they fit with the different pieces on the floor. Um, you didn't see the confidence from Franklin that you've seen when he's playing well. I thought even BvP was afraid to take shots at Tom's. Um so yeah, that I mean, I guess that's to be expected if you lose a leader in the middle of a game, but yeah, it, it's all gonna without Reese, it's a different, different team, period. I mean, that's not a surprise.
1: Yeah, I don't think you're 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 breaking any news on that one, but I think it is is certainly worth discussing Ferber because not only is it a function of you know, without Beekman, you know, they don't have as many good players. I mean, that's certainly a, a real, you know, concern for any team, no matter who you're playing, right? But given the way that he sort of fits in and the way the pieces I don't want to say they fit around him per se, because I think the duties he shares with Kihei, um, you know, that's a that's a significant sort of um that's a significant sort of um stone in the wall, so to speak, of how this whole thing is built. But Man, it it's hard to envision other dudes all of a sudden because when they when you haven't gotten that sort of early season time together, um, it it's hard to just manufacture it out of nowhere. And we've seen plenty of Virginia teams, you know, try to do that early in the season and struggle. Right, this group because they played together, you know, not just before but also in um, in the foreign trip and everything. Um, you know, they didn't have the same sort of like early season getting to know each other. Issues right like these dudes Fit well together guys had already Kind of really nice defined roles um, You know you, you sort of You sort of got the sense that these dudes Understood the way it was supposed to look And now you got some some younger kids Who are getting a lot of burn You're having Kihei having to create a lot off the bounce When he hasn't had to do as much of that this season Because of Beekman and his play You're, you're seeing Gardner and, and BVP Having to Sort of contribute Not necessarily at a higher clip but maybe more um, in terms of like um, being almost like ball dominant, right? The ball has to come into you and you got to figure out to take a shot as opposed to a guy can sort of get, get paint touches and, and get you a better look. Um, overall, Ferber, what's your general sense? I mean, obviously losing Beekman for any extended period of time, be it one game or however many, is a significant thing for UVA. But what did you think of the, the guys last night and how do you feel like uh, things project after this exam break?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's easy to kind of see positives and negatives. Um, I will say, like, the game was 55-50, and you and certainly didn't shoot the ball well throughout the game. I mean, the only reason it was really close on their end is because enough of their made field goals were threes um, to kind of keep them in it. Um, I thought they, they had a good game plan, too, of just trying to get in the lane in the second half and try to generate some fouls and get easy baskets, and they did that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the main reason I think the game was close besides the Beekman injury was free throws. UVA left, like, way too many points out there. Um, and you hope that that's just an anomaly, right, and you move on. But ultimately, you know, there was – I think it was good for the team to to have the younger guys get those minutes, even if it kind of, like, you know, was a little bit nervy, you know, in the second half. You know, you, it, at that time, you're like, I wish Reese could just play, and these guys didn't have to get these minutes. But – um, I mean, you hope that, you know, with Reese's, the injury that Reese has, like he, you know, is back to his normal self soon enough. Um, it's, I think, great time to have 10 days off or whatever, right? So he can kind of rest it up and hopefully be good to go soon. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think they're still kind of finding their way. I think th- there's stretches on offense where it kind of does look like last year's team. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like Reese being out, I think it does have an impact just because there's not as much driving and kicking and he obviously can make – he can create his own shot and get in, get in the lane and do stuff, um, you know, as we saw against Michigan, for example. Um, so I think they're they're kind of missing that a little bit and they need, you know, guys like BVP and McNeely and other guys to hit shots that they're not going to score in the way that they were scoring before with Beekman in the game. Um, and, and really, like, you know – since the Vegas trip, they haven't really shot the ball super well. I don't remember. Maybe they were okay against Maryland Eastern Shore. I don't remember. But um they they've sort of regressed their with from like an outside shooting perspective. And and they can get by, you know, with like a five for 20 every once in a while, or you know, a, a six for twenty-two or a four for eighteen. Um, but that you're you're just not gonna be able to do that against the best teams if you're not able to get in the lane and score or figure something out and then make your free throws, obviously. So, um, you know, when you look at the, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, I think, um, on the one hand, like UVA deserves to be ranked third. I think we said that last week too. Like if you look at what everybody else has done around the country and the teams UVA beat already, where they beat them, um, when they beat them, uh, and they haven't lost, I mean, that alone, you know gets you pretty high up in the rankings and then other teams just have had warts too i mean even houston you know i'm sure we'll talk about them at some point today and maybe next next week but um you know like they had a really close game against kent state that was in the 40s they had a game against st mary's who's okay but not great um you know that was close so i mean like they're not bulletproof either um nobody really seems to be right now so i think like the uva team that we've seen since vegas or i guess with the exception of the michigan win which i think will be good um like a good win but you know probably like the last few games especially the last two they haven't really been playing like a top you know elite elite team but i also will say like it's good to see them winning these games because you know they're making enough plays at the end they're getting enough stops if that's what it takes they're um hanging on i mean the florida state game obviously like if florida state had 30 more seconds that might have gone to overtime or something but it didn't and uh you know it's good i think it'll be good for the team now they have close wins against michigan illinois um, florida state jmu i don't think i'm forgetting i mean they they did trail in the second half of the opener too so i mean i think it's good for the team to kind of get the experience of having to win tight games late
1: yeah i feel like Look, we need to have a conversation about Ryan Dunn in, 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 in Specifically But I feel like if you're going to get uh, You know, 26 minutes From Isaac McNeely And he's going to shoot You know, he's going to go one for six from the floor One five from three And granted, you know This was a tight game, but it was exactly the sort of game That in a way you kind of want young guys to be in Right, like Every possession mattered, right What good is it for McNeely to play 26 minutes Against Monmouth Right. Now, you might say, Well, Brad, it's good for a rookie to play minutes no matter who they're playing against. And I would agree with that. But even in a game like this where you have one of the nation's, you know, to this point, you know, better offenses, you know, I I thought for, for, for McNeely to get as much burn as he got, um, and to, you know, make the contributions they needed him to make. Right. Um, you know, he had the worst plus minus on the on the team. He was at minus four but it's not like that it was like egregious, right? Like he held his own and that's really what you want in a game like this. Dunn is a very interesting um he's in a very interesting spot and it I think it does really impact the ceiling of this team. We we've talked before you know about one of the potential issues for this squad was they've got they've got nice guards. They don't necessarily have a bigger guard that you can just throw out there to shut somebody's water off. And ever since you know, we really started having that conversation several weeks ago. Dunn has kind of proven that he is at least up to seeing if he can be that guy. Um, you know, there were definitely a couple of times last night where the Molson kid really, really took him to school a little bit. But when it mattered most, he played excellent defense on that guy. Um, and the Molson kid has been around a while. I mean, he's somebody who you know, hit, hit a big shot against UVA last year. Certainly had um, some really nice moments last night. I would, I, I really think that. The thing that surprises me about Dunn isn't that he's making the plays he's making or that he has a skill set he has. It's the confidence that he has and the swagger to him. And I think that's really important, not just for his own development, but also for this team. Because, listen, there are a lot of upperclassmen who've played a lot of minutes for Virginia. Or in college, let's just say it like that, right? For a kid to come in and be able to Hold it, not only hold his own, but to make the kind of um, plays he makes. He can do a thing that nobody else in this team can do. And it's imperative that he does it, especially when he's going to do it consistently. And consistency is going to be the thing he's going to chase all season long. You're going to have these like really nice high watermark moments, like, you know, last night where he, you know, he's got two hand dunk on some dude's dome, right? Through contact, which absolutely was a foul. Um, or that you know that defensive play late, but there are also going to be plays where he gets a little lost or who he's not, you know, exactly where he needs to be. He's still sort of putting it together. Um, but man, this team is a this is a very different team. Just as important, I think, as the Beekman injury is, and, and absolutely, I think, is the story right now for Virginia basketball. The potential of emergence of Dunn. I'm not going to say he's arrived. I'm not going to say he's there. He's certainly on the way, and he you can see it. I think Tony can see it. And the kid can see it in himself. And I think, Dave, I think that's the biggest piece is that he sees, he understands what he's supposed to do. Now he's like a, you know, he's like trying to get himself to a place where he can do it consistently. What are your, uh, what are your general thoughts on him and sort of where he is at this point?
0: Yeah. I mean, he looks like a kid. I think we've talked about it here, but I, you know, he looks like a kid who's grown a lot and hasn't, you know, his strength hasn't caught quite up, hasn't caught up to his frame yet. Um, you know, a guy probably five or six years ago would be redshirted just because of the potential we could have with the year in the weight room. But you know, a new Tom, new, different team. Um, so you're going to have to deal with the growing pains. You know, a couple of times last night when he went to close out, you know, he's just he's so long. I think he kind of got out of position. But you know, we've when you look at who's on the team with BVP and Jaden, and you you know when those when those guys are on the floor trying to guard a three or a, or a four, you know, their best thing is just kind of run the guy with the line and hope Shedrick can clean him up at the rim. Um, Dunn gives you the option to, you know, can, can defend a guy like that um, from the three point line to the rim. So it's just, it's one like you said, it's one position that we don't have on the team without him playing minutes. So, you know, I don't think you want to have to lean on him heavily because he's a rookie, but you know, if he can give you a 10 to 12 minutes a night doing what he did last night, yeah, that kind of changes what you can do with the team, um, especially if Shedrick continues to struggle to stay on the floor. Yeah.
1: And I mean, Ferber, I feel like, you know, the, the the free throw situation, 12 of 24, is a problem. I mean, Virginia basketball is not going to win many games when, you know, they don't, when the Cavaliers are not, you know, better than 50% from the free throw line. Um, that's a problem. I also think that, you know, in the big scheme of things, Um, even though James Madison wasn't necessarily able to do a lot uh, on the offensive glass, they, they were able to get a lot of offensive rebounds. And that's also a concern. Um, that's not something that should happen when you're playing, um, you know, no events to anybody who is a JMU fan or (laughs) graduate. Um, but that, that shouldn't happen in this kind of game. Right. Um, so I think that's something we gotta, we gotta keep an eye on going forward. Um, but in terms of sort of development of the team, again, Beekman's injury and his status um, are paramount to I me. Mean, I, I, we're not going to, like, sugarcoat that. I, I think there are two other pieces. There's Armand Franklin and his shooting, right? When, when he was hitting earlier in the season, um, he's two for five from deep in this game, 3-8 from the floor. When he was hitting earlier in the season, this, this offense really took off in part i think because of the points themselves but also because of what it means for everybody else virginia's 5 of 21 from deep in this game and i i i think it, it you could say it doesn't matter who hits the threes as long as those threes are being hit we talked about like that you know Vanderpals wasn't shooting enough last night um and i think that's got to be something he's he's got to be more aggressive he's got to i think him and
2: mcneely, McNeely like left some points out there yeah. i mean like just left some shots out there and and there was one possession where like um, I forget what meet me like. He had the ball at the wing in front of the UVA bench. This is the second half, and he had an open three, and he dribbled in like yeah, he trying did. to make an extra pass. And I think he got bailed out by like a Somebody foul fell. or yeah, something. Did. And yeah. I was like, wow, he got lucky there. He should have just shot the three. Right next time down, he did shoot the three, and they missed. But I was like, well, I'd rather him do that. Right, yeah. it was
1: a room and rhythm sort of shot I remember.
2: And he yeah. and they were getting those like BVP had a few that he passed up. And it's like, all right, like, you know, I feel like against Baylor, they were just shooting those shots. Like, you know, they weren't worried about missing them. Um, And it feels like everybody's doing a little extra thinking. And that's just, UVA basketball can be like that sometimes.
1: Yeah. So where I was going with that question was basically like, you know, there's a lot of things that matter right now. There's the Beekman injury, and certainly I think there's also the development of Franklin and sort of where he is who you know who who's who's the you know quote sort of quote the, quote unquote, the real version of him that we're going to see this season is it the one we saw earlier in the year even against really good competition or is it the kid we've seen the last couple games where the three is not hidden and he doesn't it's almost like he he clearly is being impact it's like his body language and sort of um his output so to speak is being impacted by it I feel like he's got to continue to shoot I feel like he's He's got to continue to um, to be who who this offense needs him to be even if the shots aren't falling. in the big picture though where where are you with this team right now? you know we'll talk about the Houston matchup specifically I think next week. Um, but where where are you with the with the team right now given what we've seen to this point in the season? Um,
2: I mean like I don't want to just throw the giant caveat in there that Reese's health is the most important thing. But I mean, it does change his trajectory. And I mean, like, I'm not a doctor, but I feel like that kind of injury, he should be back reasonably soon. Like, you never know. But like, it didn't. It, he seemed to be in pretty good spirits last night, you know. And if they pulled him out of a game against Duke, it's like a little different, because then it's like, oh, okay, he's like really hurt. Um, you know, I think assuming he gets back reasonably soon, um, you know, I, I I'm encouraged by where they are. Uh, I think it was nice to see them get some stops when they needed to, um, in this game. I mean, like you mentioned, JMU, pretty prolific scoring team. I didn't feel like, uh, there's been games in the past where like, um, you know, you're there, especially where we sit, Brad, you can kind of just see the court. Well, there's been games in the past, you know, other seasons or even this season where like they're getting away with teams, just missing shots. Right. Right. And that's part of basketball teams just miss shots. Um, and it's like, oh, the ball's moving really well, and that team just can't hit a three or whatever. This game didn't really feel like that, you know? It felt more like Jamu wasn't getting good looks, or they were, like, going to secondary looks to try to score. Um, and and I think, like, how they played in this game, and then for most of the Florida State game, obviously Florida State kind of got it, got it going at the end, but that, that's just how they are. We didn't talk about that game much, but, man, like, I – if UVA never had to play them again, like <laughs> it is, so, as JMU you could say the same thing, really. Um, but yeah. I mean, like Florida State is so frustrating, like in a number of ways. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm encouraged. You're never going to complain about being eight and zero, right? So, like, I think if nothing else, they've like I think about the team uh, two years ago, the team during the COVID season, um, that they started off pretty good. They had the loss to San Francisco. Um, and then they hit that, like, rut in the middle of ACC play, and then they worked their way out of it, right? right? They were struggling to score. I think this team is very capable of having a similar sort of rut, you know, where it's like they're going to have some moments in January where it's like the ball is just not going in. Yeah. Um, and we've seen that this team doesn't really have, like, an alpha scorer. so And that can be a good thing, and, and I was going to write something for either end of this week or early next week about – Tony kind of said last night, he's like, this is the most team team that he's had, like the right. most like unselfish team like team where there's not like a guy or two guys that you have to lean on. I think that can be a really good thing for this team. You have different guys on different nights and they can beat you in a lot of different ways and they can play matchups differently. And it's They're going to be hard to beat because of their depth. But I also think sometimes it can be a negative because you don't have a guy that can just be like, screw this is not working. I'm just going to go get it. You know, yeah. um, and I don't know that they have that guy, and I don't mean that as like a criticism, but I think there will be some games where they've kind, of, they're it's going to be a little rougher. But I think the fact that they've done such a nice job, kind of like padding their resume and getting some big wins and winning some close games, I think that stuff will pay off when it comes time to like seed them, and then also just like for experience when the team needs to win some tight games, maybe games against teams in the league that they shouldn't be in tight games with. Um, yeah. you know, you're always going to play those. I think. The experience will pay off, but they're still a work in progress. Like every other team in the country, right? I mean, like everybody – I don't think there's any, like, you know, K- uh, Kentucky from 2015 type team out there right now.
1: Yeah. To Ferber's point, in in um, the COVID year, they they lost that second game to San Francisco. They went three in a row. Then they get just pummeled by Gonzaga before they win seven conference games in a row. Um, and I mean, and you would have thought, you know, after they beat Syracuse 81-58 – that this thing was going to roll. They're eleven and two. They were in a really good spot. Um, you know, they finished the season eighteen and seven. And they had
2: like a four game losing streak or something in there, right? Or like something. Yeah, they something lost. Where to, it, yeah, they lost. They lost to like State, a Duke. bad NC State team. Like
1: yeah, they lost to Florida State, Duke, and then NC State in a row. Two of them on the road, and then and Duke NC was State bad. Ahead. And yeah, Duke was 36th in uh, Kempom that year, and
2: they were like 13 and 14 or something. Yeah, it was rough on the it season. A, it was
1: a rough go of it. Uh, last thing on the hoops front before we switch over to um, the transfer portal, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, wins, <laughs> winning is fun, right? And I, I certainly don't want to make it seem like we're like uh, unhappy or anything. I just think that you know when you start talking about a team that is you know third in the nation and stuff especially with the matchup coming up, Dave that they, they've got, it, it's hard not to look at the big picture and think like, okay, what are some of the issues? what are some of the potential speed bumps? like where are the problems? Obviously Beekman's health is is, is priority number one. They got to get him back and he's got to be at least some semblance of himself. what's what's next on your list? what what are the things what are the things that are um, concerning to you um, with, you know, I mean, look, they're going to play Houston. Then they get to go to Miami. They're going to close out their non conference slate with Albany. That Miami
2: um, game is going to be tough, by the way. They're pretty good.
1: Yeah. Right now, Ken Palm has that at a 65 63 um, game. It's, um, you know, Virginia's still, you know, at least you're projected or whatever, however you want to phrase it, to be um, the winner in all of them, including the Houston game 57 56. But that's a 56%. Um, when 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 probability or however you want to phrase it but anyway dave in terms of the other things beyond beekman's health what are the things that concern you the most with the 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 change in the calendar and everything coming up
0: i mean probably the same thing every team in america is worried about you know the three ball is such a big part of the game um so you've got you you've got to be able to make them um and you mentioned franklin and struggling um You know, if you can get, it doesn't have to be him every night, but you know, he needs to keep that confidence to take the shot. And I think that goes for every guy on the team. Like, you know, whether it's McNeely, BVP, um, Franklin, heck even Kihei and Reese, like if you get an open three, shoot it with confidence because they're all decent shooters. They just seem to get in their heads at times. Um, but I'd say the second probably, you know, Reese's health and then Shedrick just Whatever it takes, like he's got to stay on the floor because it changes the team defensively quite a bit. Yeah, that's um, a really good point. But yeah, I do like the, you know, the way the schedule sets up. That Miami game is obviously you've got Houston. Um, you know, I'd say worst case, Virginia's going to get out of the non-conference at eight and one. I mean, nine and one. That's pretty good, <laughs> you know, com- considering what it was, what, what it looked like on paper. Yeah, um, eight and one because they had the game against Northern Iowa canceled. Well, they're eight and no oh now, right? Yeah, but they played a league game. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So eight and one. That's, that's pretty good. And if you look at the January schedule, you know, where they tend to have that little slump, um, you know, February is definitely tougher than January. So they've got some, they've got time to, to kind of figure it out. And, you know, there's new pieces playing in different roles. And I think maybe it's because you're coming out of football season. I think we're all guilty of, you know, you can lose some games and be a good basketball team. Um, So, you know, I think it's you just got to you got to remember that as you move into basketball season. But look, I think they're a very solid team. They're very few teams in the league that wouldn't trade places with us.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Speaking of
0: Miami, they just won 107 to 105.
1: Wow.
2: Against Cornell. My goodness. Yeah, it was 66-52
1: at the half. (laughs) <laughs> so so what i hear you saying is there was a lot of defense being played in that game
2: yeah i guess so i mean i guess cornell's pretty good they're seven and one but still it's pretty wild also yeah. dave you mentioned this last night but like um i think kihei deserves a, like probably 80 percent of the credit for the last two wins
1: right? yeah like, i would yeah. agree with that
2: and i think that we should you know if we're gonna highlight the weird turnovers we should highlight the
1: Success. yeah, that's. A, you know, all right that I'm glad you brought that up because we we should probably talk about this. I, it's very interesting to me the reaction to um him coming back and then the reaction that he's gotten so far this year. um, I think people are seeing w- the real benefit that he can have for you when he does when he can be who he is as opposed to trying to be somebody who his team needs him to be, right? Like the last couple of seasons, he hasn't necessarily been able to be the guy that he really is. He's had to be. Try to be more at times This team just needs him to be him And yeah, there's still a handful of times You're like, "Hey, what are you doing? Why are you driving amongst the trees? But yeah, he's been he's been really special Especially these last two games I thought, you know, he was, to your point He was the reason that UVA was able to get out of both of them Just ugly games both um, With wins Otherwise, I mean, they'd have be been really sunk um, If he had not been able to do the things he did
0: I think he gets a bad rap for turnovers too. Like you know, because obviously when he turns the ball over, he's usually initiating a play, so it's pretty obvious it's on him. Um, right. But you know, he handles the ball all the time. He's averaging two turnovers a game. You know, to five assist, and that's the lowest in his career. You know, yeah. you know he's shooting the highest field goal percentage of his career, his best three point percentage. His free throws are a little down. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, because he missed like eight yesterday. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah I mean it's, <laughs> but he still is 71 point eight percent on the yeah seasons. he'll work his way back up yeah, yeah so I mean yeah he's he's a really good player man and and you know you can you can pick nits with with decisions to drop to the hoop sometimes but you know last night in the crucial moments he was a guy that that stepped up and took the big shots yeah for sure yeah, and I
2: think one of the things that mark byington Jamies coach said last night that kind of like stuck with me is that you know that he was asked about him and he said like he's seen everything like you can't like you can't throw anything at him that he hasn't seen so like he's not he doesn't get confused you know about like what he's right. looking at cuz he's like yeah. i've seen literally every version of every offense and defense <laughs> like over the time so you know it's like you kind of know that he's going to be able to handle it um
1: and also too like i i think that there's a real um like Today's point about the turnovers, I think the re you know, anytime you get so much extended viewing of somebody, right, these things just sort of stick out, right? You, 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 you harp on the warts way more than you should. Um, And so he's just been there forever. And everybody's like seen him do all of the things, right? So not only has he seen everything, but everybody's seen him do it. Um, And so I think that, you know, that's certainly uh, an interesting sort of wrinkle for easily one of the most unique, if not the most unique career that any Virginia player will have, not only because of the way it started, but the way it's ending with the whole, you know, extra year and all. Um, it's just wild to think what he's, what the record book is going to look like when he's done in terms of, you know, games played minutes, played all that stuff. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the portal. I mean, not all of us, let's not all of us go to the portal. Um, so Brennan Armstrong is in the portal, which has which is a development that uh, that technically was announced since we last podcast. If you were listening to last week's show and you heard, uh, maybe in hindsight it, it it listens it sounds a little different, but clearly you know we were trying to prepare folks for what we thought might be coming. Um, I got to be honest, and I don't mean to like, I don't mean to like make anything happen. Uh, but by, by, I don't want to jinx it but it does I do feel like on some level they're like what the last like maybe 48 hours has been like I'm a little bit surprised that there haven't been more UVA kids going in the portal um you know we'll see what the end of the week looks like they technically have what 48 hours to announce it um, or for the kid to actually show up in the portal which is you know as good as being announced at this point um losing Armstrong Dave is a very um It's a tough beat, right? Um, Because as we've, you know, the three of us have discussed off air, like talk about unique careers. Like he's going to have his, his, his name all over the record book. And yet, how do you handle it? Right. Because he's probably going to go somewhere else and play whether he has success, success there or not. It's hard to just wipe out what happened this season. Right. So he doesn't, he doesn't leave as like, I don't know, on the shoulders of giants, right as as it sort of feels like he should given his junior season um
2: i mean he's all over the record books and then he literally and i'm not i'm not saying this is all his fault but he literally has like the worst one of the worst statistical seasons like i can remember from a quarterback in terms of like touchdowns and interceptions
0: yeah Like i mean the, seven, when you did 12, that breakdown that, the
1: other day dude where you were breaking down like how many you know picks and stuff he had i mean it's absurd um if you think about it, just the, the night and day. And I mean, listen, there's lots of time to point fingers and um, maybe not as many thumbs um, as we would like about, you know, how who's to fault for all that stuff. But the bottom line is, is that this is this is wild to say that if you had told me at the end of that season that after next year, he's going to transfer and you're probably going to be pretty happy about this for both sides. I would have been like, no way. And yet here I am. December 7th, 2022 telling you that like, this is good for both sides. Like nothing. I mean, and look, I'll, I'll feel the same way if he come, if he decides miraculously to come back to UVA and play for another season, nothing good happens unless he comes out and just absolutely just kills it. Right. Nothing good happens. If he plays in Virginia, Jersey again, because all it will be is just a constant and total like angst parade. Everybody will be on edge. And at the, end, at the smallest sight of any sort of mistake or a setback, everybody will still feel it. And the pressure that that kid would be under. I can't blame him for wanting to go somewhere else. I know I can't blame the staff for maybe thinking that even if they got to take somebody who's green around the gills, you know what? Good. You know, like I feel like that's sort of where we are, Dave. Where are you? Yeah. I mean,
0: you know, it, it's weird because, I mean, I'm glad you said it. I was gonna say, it, like, I don't want to talk too bad about anyone in the portal because they could change their mind and come back. Um, but the whole season kind of had a you know, the Richmond game, the offense was clunky, but it scored points, and you're like, okay, they're gonna figure this thing out, right? And then it just never happened. Um, you know, there was rarely any, you know, any um back-to-back drives with offensive success the whole season. You know, you had minute, you know, a play here, a couple plays there, but it was just so bizarre, um, and it was terrible because, you know, if you go back and listen to our, hopefully you'll delete it, our preseason um, prediction podcasts. Like, I don't think anyone expected the offense to to struggle. Like, obviously we're ridiculous optimists, but um, I mean, I thought even the offense stepped back. I didn't think it would step back even close to how far it actually stepped back. And maybe that's naive with the offensive line changes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just for, you know, Brandon decides to come back, you know, he's got a year in the system. Um, obviously if he decided to come back, then he's bought in and, you know, that, you know, it's on him to, to kind of practice and perform. And I think he'd probably be welcome back, not knowing the relationships there, but, um, but for the staff and for the offense, and I think even for the fans just kind of, you know, who feel, like maybe the, you know, maybe it's Des Kitching's fault or Tony Elliott needs to call more plays or or it's Taylor Lamb, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I think if you're going to judge these guys fairly, um, they should have the quarterback they pick and they get that chance now. Um, you know, there's no guarantee the Jay will be, you know, will stick with football either. So it could be a big turnover in the quarterback room, which, as we know, <laughs> it's pretty important for football.
1: Um. Okay, a couple thoughts. First off, I I feel like, you know, you can make an argument that he's got a year in the system. Man, I don't know if he's got a year in the system. I I don't know how much of what he ended up doing for most of the season was really what they really wanted him to be doing. Like, I I feel like on to them, having somebody who's who doesn't have like the pre existing condition, so to speak, right? Um of having played in the in the previous system and having been so successful. I feel like they re- one of the things that 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 we all three um even Ferber who was typically um you know very measured on these things. Certainly Dave and I <laughs> grossly misunderstood, uh, misunderstood and underestimated this. But like I just did never in a million years would have thought he would have struggled um the way he did. And I don't mean that just in the sense of like and I'm not trying to like point to the to the scheme itself. I mean, just being able to sort of get the thing moving, you know, like play to play, you just never knew what you were going to get, and that just was not the case the season prior, right? So, I mean, you could make it make an argument, and say like, well, he's got a year in the system. I just don't know if that's even true. I think that if he comes back, you almost have to start from scratch because not only are you unable to sort of use a lot of the stuff that you wanted to do because it clearly is not, it didn't, it didn't work. But you're sort of dealing with the, um, you're dealing with the fallout for lack of a bad description, right? Um, the fallout of having it not work out, and there's just not a lot. There's not a lot of like ways around that. You sort of have to just go through it, and um, that would be really difficult if he were to decide to come back. Now, if he wanted to, and 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 to, to Dave's point, Ferber, you know, he says like, well, if he decides to do that, you know, he's bought in and stuff. I mean, I would like to think that that's true. Um, but I also think that, like so on some level, um, the, the 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 misfit here, right? The the lack of fit, that's not going to just go away, even if you want, even if both sides wanted it to happen. Um, I think it's best in everybody's interest, and I think we would probably all agree about that. Um, you know, to for it to sort of go the way it went. What's your general vibe on this? Do you feel like? You feel like it's best for everybody if 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 everybody has a clean start. Do you do you secretly have some hope that he'll come back and you know kind of be another redemption story? What do you think?
2: Well, I don't think he's coming back. For one, uh, I don't think any of us do. Right. So just so people know, we're not like expecting that to happen. Yeah. No,
1: we're not. Um. Like no circumstances do we think that's happening.
2: Yeah, and I think honestly, it's not. Uh, there's a whole. The, we'll figure this out over the course of the next few years. Whose fault this was, if there's anybody's fault, <laughs> like it, I don't think it probably is anybody's fault specifically, but um, it's pretty clear that it wasn't working out, and I don't think that like 30 more practices are gonna do it, um, unless like you know they get massive offensive line improvement and then he has all day to throw and then things change. Um, yeah, I think. For whatever reason, it just didn't click. Um, and, again, this is not making – it's not all Brennan's fault necessarily. Like, he gave it his all, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, I think it's probably best for him. He's got one more year. Go somewhere else. Have a different experience. Um, try something different offensively. Show people you can do stuff. Maybe, you know, go to a competitive team that's has different aspirations than EBA does on a yearly basis. And I think for for Tony Elliott, I think it's imperative to for UVA to move on. Um, I think the longer you let this thing go, the like the and I'm not saying like Brennan leaving is gonna like fix all their problems, but like <laughs> I I think I think they have to kind of like turn the page and like he needs to get his guys in here and not just a quarterback um, and show us that they like. Cause I think there's, it's easy to say like, well, these guys played for a different coach and like there was buy-in issues and like the scheme fit wasn't great. And we did our best, but now you have a chance with the transfer portal to like say, okay, you know, you're going to have a bunch of guys leave. Now is your chance to go get some, some guys that you think are a fit. You handpick them, right? Handpick your quarterback. I mean, you, obviously you can't make somebody come here, but like you're going to have options. And I think like, How they go about this and like what their plan is, and um, you know, not just with this quarterback, but like what's your succession plan look like, right? Because I think that was one of the things that Broncos staff ended up doing well. I I think I don't know that it was as (laughs) at least for a while, I don't know that it was some like genius plan that they came up with because like they didn't have Bryce or Brendan Armstrong like going into the last game of Bankert's last regular season. <laughs> um, but they figured it out and it worked out, right? So yeah, plans sometimes staff- comes together. Yeah, it came together late. But like this staff needs to figure out a way to make it come together. And I think that kind of starts with the change. Um and, you know, hopefully Brennan does well wherever he goes. Um, assuming he does transfer somewhere else and UVA goes out and finds somebody that fits what they want to do and can kind of like you know, if it's somebody from a lower level, they can adjust to the ACC level of football. Or if it's a guy from a different scheme, they can come in and learn this stuff. And then everybody around them needs to execute at a higher level than what we saw this year, including the coaches.
1: Yeah. I think one thing that I don't want to do, and this is the part where, you know, we've been a little critical to Brendan. I want to be critical here to the staff. For just made an excellent point He's so talking about you know, go out there, pick your quarterback. On some level, Tony Elliott already sort of did that. Because he's the one who made a big deal out of like that Brennan was the biggest get that they got yeah, last year. Right. Exactly. And they
2: went, and, they made it very clear that he was a priority. And like, that's my thing too, is I don't want to absolve them of this. Cause like very rarely it's like, well, it's a new head coach. It's like, yeah, but how many times does a new head coach get a quarterback that threw for 4,500 yards? Right. Like, exactly. It's not the same situation.
1: I feel like on, you know, if you want to, if you want to go out there and say that Tony and company are not at fault. Okay, whatever. That's fine. But, the, the bottom line is he did choose his quarterback once, and it just was not good. And so, you know, I don't I don't want to go into this um this off season, this transfer portal season, thinking that like he he and, and and the staff have like a a blank check so to speak, or or a clean slate. That's actually the 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 phrase I was looking for. It's not they don't like everything that happened with Brennan is on them. Now, I think there's a lot of folks who who share some of the reasons why those things happen, but they just did, right? And so if there's a guy out there that they can, they can get, certainly Bronco, you know, to whatever faults he may have had or the whole way it ended and all this stuff, they were very good at figuring out the quarterback uh, position and getting it right. Um, you know, Ben Kirk was perfect for what they needed. Bryce Perkins was perfect for what they needed. And they did a lot with Brennan Armstrong before they left. Um, so... It's up to Tony and Dez uh, and and Lamb to figure out who the next guy is going to be. Dave, if, is there a guy out there that you absolutely want them to get?
0: Excuse uh, me if you hear the fire trucks in the background. Don't know what's going on in Fishers though. Um, anyway, the uh, there's several, you know, and yeah, I think we should mention like the pretty big ruling from the NCAA today, which I don't think any of us even considered as a possibility, um, which has kind of really changed the math with you know any of the the guys out of without eligibility being able to come back next year if they choose to. I don't know that they all will, but some probably will. And that, especially on the defensive line, could change the the needs quite a bit. Um but obviously quarterback, right? <laughs> um, you know, Brennan's gone, you, you gotta replace him. Um yeah. And I and I don't wanna I mean there's some good ones out there. I just don't know how realistic some of them are. Um so obviously, if you can get a, a proven starter, um, whether that's Jeff Sims or um, I don't know about DJU, but yeah, so someone in that realm, um, you know, who kind of fits the uh, the Elliot slash Des offensive scheme, that's got to be your priority. Um, I really like the musket kid from Monmouth.
2: I was gonna say, how long is it gonna take us to get for Tony the musket or Tony the rifle musket? um i'm working well, on well, I I'm work need to the rough way. he's got the
0: musket right there man yeah exactly yeah <laughs> tony the musket's all you call it um i like his game a lot you know and you know the staff and obviously probably has a better uh, idea what what jay's planning to do um i don't want people to think we're like talking around knowing something there because we don't but um you know but he's think- probably not going to be there in the spring Yeah. And that's the thing. Like we, we've, we have talked about that before. I mean, I think if he's going to be your starting quarterback, um, you know, can you, after last year, you know, can you have your starting quarterback not be available to practice in the spring? Um, maybe, I mean, teams do that, but I mean, I think you've got to have someone in there to take the snap. So musket I like a lot, like is, can he come in and start year one? I don't know. Um, probably more likely than a high schooler certainly has the tools. Um, So, I mean, quarterback's got to be one. Um, and then two for me, not that you asked, uh, (laughs) would be some offensive line help. And I like some of the guys here, they've already offered, um, the guy from Rhode Island. I think that's probably a long shot given all the offers he's gotten already. I saw the other schools that offered him was like, well, that ship sailed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they were in on him early. I'll give him that much. Um, but he's gotten some, you know, (laughs) some, some offers from schools with deep pockets, um, but the uh is it Dejon Parker is that his name the kid from Saginaw Valley State like he's mm-hmm. he's pretty good and there's some there's some other guys what that about your guy Rusty Stats. Rusty Stats there's another guy and like we don't know that he's got an offer because you know they don't all tweet their offers um and then obviously you know wide receiver you've, you've got to come up with some stuff so I, I think that's how I'd prioritize it right now quarterback offensive line, wide receiver um you know getting some help in the secondary with cypress in the portal you know anthony johnson apparently leaving for the draft but maybe that's up in the air who knows so the staff more knows more than we do so i think the offers will kind of tell you what, what they think um but i mean i like how aggressive they're being and you know with you know if you can get guys like butler to come back um You know, you could have a very good defense next year, even with the loss of Cypress or Johnson, which I think, you know, helps increase the chances maybe you can figure it out on the offensive side instead of having to rebuild two sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I I think – go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, I was going to say, let's talk – I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about what they're losing because to this point, you know, we we obviously focus a lot on Brennan and we're talking a little bit about sort of the positions – um, I like how Dave basically used that as a chance. To, I asked him about quarterback and he's just, you know, he's making a, a grocery list, which I appreciate.
2: Brendan Farrell's in the portal. They need a backup kicker.
1: <laughs> um, I think Cypress is by far the biggest loss. Um, And yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I include Brennan in that. Um, you know, that's a tough one because he, he really did play at such a high level. I, I think one of the things that's weird about the portal especially when you're in a situation like UVA is for, is like Johnson is, is probably going to go pro even though he now has a, the chance to come back, but I'm guessing he's going to go pro and Cypress is, is in the portal because of the season he had. It kind of makes you feel good about where they were, who was doing the teaching and what they were being taught. Right. Um, clearly both guys had a lot of potential, but they really put it together this year. Um, so it's, it's weird because sometimes the portal sort of confirms for you that like something is working, but then the dude who was doing it is now gone. Um, but in, in general, Ferber, what's your what's your feeling right now on sort of the dudes that are in the portal? And um, I mean, certainly we have a we have a sense of I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist right to look at playing time and just kind of guess as to, you know, who might be looking to, to jump the quarterbacks in the ACC have just been absurd. But beyond that, um, you know, the other positions and such, it, it makes a lot of sense if, you know, pr- you know, player X, player Y go in, but to the names we have now, I mean, I feel like on some level, and again, this could all change by the time you're listening to this podcast, but I feel like on some level, other than Cyprus, like that's the one that really hurts the most, everything else just kind of makes sense. And I feel like UVA is kind of, uh, faring pretty well. What do you think?
2: It is 9 32 Eastern on Wednesday. <laughs> well done. Um we'll, well see done. how we'll see how that goes over the next few days. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like uh, most of the entries have not come as a big surprise. Um, given like what you expect to happen, right? Like Zach Teeter going to the portal, you know, he wasn't playing. Makes sense. Um and not everybody that's not playing wants to leave. So you'll see guys stick around too, but so far there haven't been as many departures as I was expecting but like I said we'll see how this week plays out and then you might have some more guys leave in the spring. Um so I mean and the portal is open for 60 days, right? You know, it doesn't close. Yeah, I mean guys might finish school and then like for the semester and then decide to leave, you know, or whatever. Or they might um you're going to have some guys that are like not in a huge rush to like transfer cuz they're going to stay at UVA through the spring and then go in the summer. So because maybe they're finishing their degree or whatever. So they can go in the portal like in two weeks and then kind of like, just look at what's out there. Um, You know, like uh, Brad, you mentioned Cyprus. I mean, that was disappointing, I guess. Um, You know, he did graduate this month. So, or he is graduating. So, I mean, I guess maybe he's just trying to have a different experience for his last year, which, you know, sure. um, He's going to have a lot of interest. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a bummer given that you're already expecting to lose Anthony Johnson on the other side too. Um, but yeah, I mean, Cypress, you know, obviously most improved player on the team, I would say this year. So, um, you know, they'll have to do some work there in the secondary. Yeah. I mean, as of right now, there haven't been a lot of like stunning departures. I mean, I guess people were surprised by Brendan Armstrong leaving, um, just because, you know, I, for one thought he would probably just end his career, um, and go pro given that he basically came back for like one last year. Um, And then obviously we kind of knew that Dontavian Wicks was leaving. That's a big departure um, to a, you know, suddenly very different wide receiver room for obviously a variety of different reasons. Um, But yeah, I mean, right now things look pretty standard, but you know, tomorrow might be a different day. You just never know.
1: Yeah. I feel like on some level we should, we should have a conversation about wide receivers because you know, as painful as it still is, um, you know, your point is well taken that that room is going to be dramatically different, um, you know, for both tragic and, um, you know, sort of normal reasons. Right. I think we all sort of understood maybe midway through the season that Wicks was very unlikely to come back. Um, obviously the, the deaths of Chandler and Davis changed the trajectory of that room. Um, you know, there's no, there's no way to, to talk about this or talk about sort of what happens with the wide receiver group without being just really upfront about um, the tragic nature of the question you have to answer. Right. That being said, you you do have to answer it. And obviously Malachi is a huge part of what they want to do. I I think we're going to see some movement on the wide receivers soon. Um, That seems like a position that they, they just desperately could use um, some additional help for, like we said, for a variety of different reasons. Um, I, I feel like, you know, we, we've talked offline about sort of the, the number, right? What's the general, like, it, even if you don't try to put like names with the number itself, what what's normal, right? How many guys can you lose? And it's still normal. Um, I think if you had that conversation, you can't really include walk-ons in that. And I don't mean that as any disrespect, but I mean, the, the long and short of it is that like, technically speaking, Everybody who wants to transfer has to go in the portal, but we don't report walk on commitments the way we do scholarship commitments. Right now, if they do stuff on the field and they win awards and stuff, yeah, that's great. But then eventually they probably get put on scholarship, right? Um, guys don't typically, you know, guys who work their way up from walk on to ACC player of the year, they're probably not still walk ons. So I, I don't want to say that somehow like those dudes don't count, but in the big picture, the departures or arrivals that you have of scholarship players are just different, right? They, they, they are different for, you know, I think obviously, I mean, they
2: literally it. count towards a scholarship. Exactly. Limit. <laughs> they really
1: count. they literally count. So we, we wait, we wait to see um, what the NCAAs. Um, I mean, one of those rare situations where the NCAA gets it absolutely right. Right. We wait to see what the NCAA um, decision means, right? If there are guys who really take advantage of it. Or and guys who don't. Um, certainly the you know early signing day is coming up real real soon and Virginia's trying to put together a recruiting class. I feel like and this is um, probably a conversation for another day, but I feel like they they really have to they have to look at um, what when the early signing period starts. Um, I don't think it helps anybody for it to be where it currently is I think they desperately need to move that. Probably earlier, summertime even Like something, it makes sense To have an early signing period, it does not make Any sense for early signing period to essentially come In the midst of transport portal season Everything is up in the air right now Um, and I feel Really bad, honestly, for, you know, the Traditional high school kids, because You know, you could go six months More, be committed And everything changes, because some dude decided To transfer, and now your spot's gone Um, but that that like I said, that's a conversation for a different day. The bottom line is is that Virginia's got a lot to figure out over the next few weeks, um, and I'm not really sure um, at this point that you that you can even like give a glimpse or give a forecast for like how it's going to shake out. They're going to get a quarterback, right? Somebody's going <laughs> to say yes. The question is just like, who is that dude? What's his background, um, and how does he fit? Ferber, you know, wrote a. Uh, a pretty good kind of explainer not just on the dudes that are in the portal but also sort of the situation on the ground um and i'm not going to lie it's a little bleak especially if jay decides he you know wants to focus on baseball which i think has to be considered as a very real potential development if not likely right certainly nobody has is whispered in my ear and said hey jay's going to focus on baseball but it 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 is absolutely a a very real a possibility and it and if that happens man the whole thing really does sort of teeter a little bit um so you're you know there are certainly guys out there that i'm not very interested in musket's probably the guy that i'm most interested in um
2: the rifle, the, the
1: rifle. um i am He's, i I, w- I wish i could explain i was telling somebody this today like i don't know like i'm not a big fan of like when people say like 300 percent um <laughs>
2: You know, like you mean, like it was all over the UVA football facility for years. Yes, four hundred percent bugged
1: me to death because you can't do more than a hundred. I'm sorry. So I don't know if you can say like you know you have negative um, confidence or whatever. (laughs) You know, because you get yourself into the same um, issue. Um, But you know, I I I think that there the chances that UVA is not going to get somebody you know um, are. Extremely slim, right? The question is, like, how does that person fit? Um, as we wrap up here, I am going to give you both uh, a shot at answering this. How does Tony Elliott win this off season? Uh, what what would need to happen, in your opinion? And and if you want to just say for you, as opposed to like the whole fan base, because you can't account for everybody and all their you know their various points of view. But for your from your standpoint, what is what does Tony Elliott himself need out of this off season? Um, Is it a marquee transfer? Is it restocking the pond? Is it, you know, maybe coming out and saying that, you know, he shouldn't, you know, say so much about players publicly? I don't know. Whatever the thing might be. Dave, how does does Tony win the offseason, in your opinion?
0: For fans? Is that what you're asking? No, I'm asking Um, for you. For you personally. For me. So here's the thing, like I mean, I
2: think there's how do you stuff pick I'd, UVA to go ten and two next year? Like,
0: yeah, what do that's you? That's a really see? good way to frame it for
1: <laughs> How exactly does he get from <laughs> they, from where we are today to us being on the preseason prediction podcast and you going, yeah, ten and two? That's what I want to say.
0: Literally, just wait till August. Um, <laughs> that's all he's got to do. No, I mean, I think what I'd like them to see and what he really needs to do aren't necessarily the same things, right? Like, um, I mean, I as a fan would like to see him, you know, come out after early signing day and kind of you know, addressed that the offense was clunky this year, and maybe he was too critical of players and he spent too much time talking about Clemson. That would make me feel good. Right. You know, um, but ultimately it doesn't matter if I feel good, like he's got to do whatever it takes to, you know, if there was any division in that locker room, you know, prior to the shootings, um, after whatever it might be like that culture, that, that culture has got to be fixed. Um, and then he's got to acquire talent. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, we, we judge coaches on win and loss wins and losses, but most of that is built around what happens the other eight months a year. And that's the season we're in now. Um, and then that's, you know, that's what's ultimately going to decide whether he's a successful coach or not. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd like him to say some stuff, um, but yeah, it's going to be, <laughs> the thing that really matters i guess is the team like in where they are and him adding the right pieces which you know <laughs> depending on who stays and who's who's going um there's quite a few pieces if virginia is going to be competitive against a very tough schedule next year
1: same question you ferber take us out
0: yeah i mean
2: i kind of think i kind of think like the what Dave asked about the fans is kind of the question just because like winning the off season is kind of by nature, like not winning games. Um, not that those two things are mutually exclusive, but like, I feel like it's a lot about like the PR elements um, and how people feel. And I think, <laughs> the, the, I mean, obviously like I'm not talking about the tragedy, the shooting, but, um, but just like find ways to make people forget about this year and like move forward. And I think that starts with, there's a few different things. One, go out and get a quarterback that gets your team, you know, like it's your team's going to respond to that guy. They can, you know, he fits, he fits schematically and in the locker room, um, try to retain as many defensive guys as you can. Um, And, you know, hopefully have enough confidence in, like, any transfers you bring in to supplement on that side that they can turn around and at least be, like, pretty good next year. Um, Offensively, it's, like, it's about development. Um, And then at the wide receiver position, I think you have to go out and get a couple guys at least. Um, And, you know, I think the quarterback thing will be big. But then also, I think um 2024 recruiting class is going to be a big telltale sign for like what we can expect because to be frank this one is underwhelming not that i think any of these guys are like terrible but like you know if you just look at where their ranks for a first year head coach it's just not like it's not a great effort honestly and i don't know that that's all tony elliott and his staff's fault i mean there's like different circumstances at play and they have a chance to sort of like change the narrative in the 2024 class. So I'd like to see them go out and get some guys, especially some guys that, you know, in-state guys that they feel like they have good relationships with. And I kind of, I'm a little optimistic that things will trend up a little bit in the next cycle. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just kind of you, I would say try to get at least one quarterback in, in the spring that can kind of hit the ground running. And then if you have to have a competition in the fall, cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just make incremental progress and try to um, be humble enough. And this is also like with the staff, like, you know, he picked the staff. You don't have to keep things exactly the way they are. I'm not saying fire coaches. I'm saying like who calls plays or, um, you know, how things are organized or how the recruiting operation is organized. Like you don't have to keep all that stuff the same just because you hired all those people. You can make changes like, bronco made changes after year one like you can go in and say like hey this part of the operation isn't working like we need to change it um that can be all kinds of different things sorry like the bus driver like the bus driver well i mean that's a that's kind of a big thing right there is like maybe don't worry about that kind of stuff so much let somebody else do it um and i think that's the part of the the thing that's probably the most important overall is like have the humility to change what needs to be changed while also staying true to what you really believe in and not throwing the baby out with the bathwater.
1: Yeah I am uh, <clears throat> I am reminded of this column I wrote earlier in the season about why people had something to be excited, why, why that people should be really excited. And I use this picture of Brennan um, that was like you know had foundation on the you know the, on the back. And it's just wild to me that this thing went the way it went. But I think that your point about, um, you know, both of you guys have talked about sort of like changing that narrative. Look, I'm not saying that necessarily winning the off season is um, is gonna make any losses easier or whatever, whatever. But I do think that you're gonna need he's gonna need to put some points up, so to speak, this off season in order for the program to not really suffer. And that's kind of the place I was um, even before the shooting. I mean that that pit game was just brutal on like so many different levels, um, and obviously everything that came after that made what happened that game so absolutely like pointless. Um, but if we're going to start talking football again, and we're going to start talking about um, the program itself and trajectory and you know whatever, whatever, like you can't you can't just sort of Wipe that slate clean Right so it's up to Tony and his staff To go out find guys That fit and then get them ready to play um, You know the bottom Line is is that you know this is A profession that you are judged largely On the way you win and lose um, And how often you do both And This offseason is, is absolutely Critical I mean Ferber's point about the class I mean like look there I think there are Some really good solid Prospects in that group right And I think some of those kids have absolute potential to develop into really nice players, but you can't look at that group and say, yeah, this dude has eight all ACC potential, right? You want to have, you want to have several guys in each class that sort of give you that vibe. And that's the place where rankings really come through, right? Rankings are really all about rankings, ratings, everything that the recruiting industry does. It's really about sort of trying to gauge who these guys are in comparison to each other at this point. Now, what we have seen so far from the staff is that they can develop guys, right? At least at some spots, you know, you can't look at what happened with Virginia's defensive backfield and not think like those dudes sort of know what they're doing. Right. At the same time, you can't look at what happened at quarterback uh, and not, and, and, and wide receiver to that relevant. Right. And the way the scheme fits and all this stuff and not think like, man, that, that does not look good. So, Winning the off season might not necessarily mean that more people will be at the games or more people will be excited or whatever, but they need to do something to to basically move the program forward or at least get it back to a place where it's in a position to possibly move forward. Because otherwise, the season was you know a real disaster, and um, I, I think that whether or not that is the case, I mean we'll know pretty soon. Um, you know, once the once the portal. Carousel stop spinning Alright That I think is a very good place to put a pin in it I um, Want to thank everybody out there who continues To support the show, continues to listen to the show I want to thank uh, My Perfect Franchise For their support of the show and of the website uh, And I think I want to um, also want to thank Dave and Ferber for being gracious for time as always I very much appreciate all that they do So for Dave Spence, Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin Publisher of CashCorner.com, thanks for coming out We'll see you soon